Holy mirror universe is Batman. Uh, it's me, like, you're me. Okay, calm your shit. I'm from a different timeline. You're in a Tesla flexion. We only have- Two minutes, we know the rules. Right, of course, you pulled Alice into one of these before. Wait, you're from that same timeline? That's right, look, we need your help. There's this monster here killing magicians. We call him the Beast. Twelve fingers? Cloud of moths around his face? Yeah, I try to get people to call him Mothra, didn't stick. Here either. Can't expect everyone to be down with the kaiju classics. <laughs> oh, okay, guys, two minutes, right? Right. Uh, problem is, magic vanished. These plumber guys showed up one day and just shut it off like a faucet. Wait, here too, but uh, you guys have no idea why? No clue. Except the problem is, we lost magic, but the beast didn't. He was suddenly unstoppable. I, 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 I don't understand. Uh, so magic is gone, but then how does he still have it? Dude, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with this key around his neck. Wait, what key? Uh, about Ye Big. Rumor is it gives him visions of the future. Visions of the future? None, none of our keys do that. Look, Julia, in my timeline, you were the best student break Bill's ever had, until you were horribly murdered. Oh. But with your help, we might stand a chance against Mothra. And Josh, well, you're me. No argument there. Shit. Uh, please, you have to find a way back here. This is our most desperate hour. Help us, Julia and Josh. You're our only hope. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to episode 311 of Physical Kids Weekly 23. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And our guests today are both writers from the show. They both worked on this episode together. The first is Henry Alonzo Myers, who we talked to in season one. Welcome back, Henry. Hi, thanks. Um, and you met Glad our second... Oh, <laughs> thanks. Glad to have you. Um, listeners, you met our second guest earlier this season. He wrote the emotional Quelliot episode, A Life in the Day, and he's also the voice of the Felorian Rabbits. It's Mike Moore. Hi, Mike. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome back to both of you. We're really thrilled to have you here today. Um, before we dive into the quick episode, the season I've been giving um, quick recaps at the beginning for our listeners, so I'll do that right now. In this one, Josh and Julia go to the 23rd timeline to rid it of the beast and take the key that's sustaining his magic. Once there, they discover that everything isn't as it seems. The beast seems to be a shadeless version of Q23, resurrected by Alice23 after she talked to Q Prime in the Tesla flexion. And the beast attack left more survivors than Dean Fogg thought. Together, Josh, Julia, and the survivors of, the, of Timeline 23 take on Quentin and retrieve the key. Then Penny and Marina 23, this is going to get confusing quickly, uh, <laughs> return with Josh and Julia Prime to the 40th Timeline. <sighs> As Josh would say, time travel headache. So <laughs> I'll, I'll start with our usual question. Danny, what did you think of this episode? I love this episode, but I love anything that kind of like fucks with time travel. <laughs> I think it's fun. Um, alternate timelines. And I also think that I would have reacted to myself in a timeline the same way that Josh did. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good reaction. Um, and I want to start, writers, by asking you broadly what you hoped fans would take away from this episode. Um, and Henry, why don't you start us off? Um, well, I'd want to do a, you know, I'm a big genre fan, as you might guess, and I'd want to do like an alternate universe episode for a long time. Uh, and, uh, but it was sort of about, you know, cause things like doppelgangland, other sh episodes, you know, like the, 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 um, the alternate universe. I mean, I guess Star Trek is sort of the first, but, uh, uh, it, you know, it's always sort of a fan favorite. It's always a, like kind of a balancing act to do. Um, and we had been trying to figure out the truth is we've been trying to figure out how to do a bottle show hmm. at some point in that season, meaning like a, a bottle show is a show that uses only primarily our 
main cast and uses only our main set. And I thought an alternate universe version of it would be a great excuse to hit all of our sets, see them in a different light, and would be a way to kind of twist up what the, the key quest. We had like a, this idea in the room that one of the keys existed in an alternate timeline and that timeline had the beast in it. Uh, so, you know, that's, I think that's where it started. I came in with that. And like with most things, like I had this broad based push to do it. And then all of the great ideas that kind of came into the episode came like from other people like Mike, um, you know, so th- I think that's, that is real. that's really where it started was like trying to say, we have to do a bottle show. Let's be incredibly inventive about it. And also we had wanted to see if we could, uh, um, you know, it's always a goal on our show to, to, to take our characters and show them in a different light or give them a different thing to perform. Mm. Um, you know, we had, Josh was gone from a big chunk of the early part of the season. Yeah. So part of my goal was, well, why don't we make him do twice the work? Like, <laughs> I, I have um, to say, and we've done all the. We, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just have to say, listen, listening to that clip and not seeing it, it's a totally different experience. <laughs> it's very, it's much harder to follow when you have Josh talking to Josh and no like visual I, I cues. I could hear, I could hear that they they put a slight different tinge on Josh twenty three. It was interesting. I could hear the the differences in them. Um, we'd also done the Quentin episode earlier, the Quentin double episode earlier this season, and we'd done mm-hmm. some doubling, but um, uh, that was a, that was sort of instructive because it showed us the ways that we needed to, if we were going to do an episode where there was a double throughout the entire mm-hmm. episode and we were going to shoot it in seven days instead of our usual eight, we needed to um, treat it a certain way. And like the big thing that Mike and I came up with writing it was we were going to have them look Pretty similar, except one of them's got a cool jacket and one of them <laughs> doesn't have plastic. Yeah, the LASIK joke was Sarah's idea. If I'm not, if I'm not, uh, which but we love that and kind of ran with it. Mm-hmm. Um, kept it, keep it simple, so that because Josh, you know, Trevor had to switch between roles very quickly, and you don't want to have to do like a major makeup change or a major costuming change in between doing those two roles. Uh, so we kind of that's that was that was instructive and, and a good lesson. Uh, trying to think of what else, uh, Mike. Was there anything else that I'm that I'm not hitting that you don't remember? I'm, I'm well, actually, like I think what I what excited me most about this episode was what came out of those limitations. Um, and actually, it's kind of hits what you were talking about, Danny. Um, with you know, how would you uh, interact with um, your alternate self from a different timeline? Um, and Josh sees this guy as you know. At first, he's like. He sees him as a superhero almost. Like he was brave enough to get LASIK. Holy fuck! Um, yeah, like I think, I, you know, I can imagine myself as George Clooney all I want, but that's always going to be ridiculous and never remotely to- close to reality. But if I saw a version of myself from a different timeline that I thought was cooler, was smarter, was braver, what have you. Um, then that would really uh, elicit some some soul searching of myself. And without the limit, without the production limitations of, like Henry said, you know, we're filming Josh twice, so we have you know a quick hair change and a jacket, and that's all we have time for. Um, 
I think it allowed Trevor, and I think he was really successful in this, to explore what if you saw a 5% better version of yourself? How would you, how would you react to that? Um, and kind of exploring, exploring that, I thought, was the most fun, creative part of this episode. The other challenge that we had had, uh, Sarah had a, has a, her biggest concern about doing alternate universe uh, episodes in our show was that what is the, you know, you're, I mean, I, I had a couple of things that I kept bringing back to the room was like, I want to see everybody. We have to see everyone and everyone in the episode. If possible, we have to hit all of our sets. Um, and the, the other thing that was important was how, when, we, when you see, you know, an alternate universe character, it's, it can't just be a funhouse mirror. It has to have some uh, emotional relevance that we're going to take away and bring back into the future shows. And so the, you know, the, the two characters who are not changing or who are changing to the episode who are going to be, you know, who are carrying on at the next, I shouldn't say two, because I guess there's actually four, but <laughs> the, 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 you know, we needed to find storylines that were relevant to Julia and to Josh that would change them. Uh, so, like, that was the other big thing that we worked very hard to come up with. And, and the Josh one, which was one of my favorites, is, is the, the thing that I think the magicians does very well, which is that it's something that seems like a joke. It's funny, it's funny, it's silly. And then it suddenly has, like, some darkness and relevance and emotional mm-hmm. truth to it. Yeah. Also, we wanted to bring... We wanted to bring uh, we wanted to bring back Penny in a way that people didn't expect. <laughs> yeah, and definitely didn't expect that. the Penny storyline uh, in future <laughs> episodes. Yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting um, Julia and Penny. I was like, that is something that was never on my mind. <laughs> you remember, I, I texted you when the promo came out because you thought, I think you thought it was Josh first, right? Yeah. Yeah, first, it was like, I, saw it, I thought it was Josh. That's too tall. That's Penny. That's got to be Penny. <laughs> yeah, that is too tall. Um, so, um, when you thought of, about returning to the twenty third timeline, what did you want to do differently this term time around, Mike? You start. Yeah. Um, well, we wanted to look at just the idea of you know if one little thing goes wrong for our characters, how does that affect? The world break bills as a whole, the world as a whole, um, and it turns out it's pretty fucking important for our characters not to screw up because um, things kind of went to shit. Um, <laughs> they screwed up a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so just, I think it was really fun, especially when we got into script, and this was the first time for me to to co-write with somebody else, like in the same room. Yeah. Um, the only other times I've done it before, it was just emailing drafts back and forth. Um, so to be able to kind of just brainstorm with Henry and talk in, you know, in our offices about what, how, how is fog different? Why is he sadder or happier or crazier or what have you? Um, and just, I mean, the amount of, backstory we just riffed on talking about um, was like that was in such an instructive uh, writing lesson for me um, 
I have like a way that I like to uh, uh, do re- um, collaborations that I've kind of come to over many years, which is uh, Mike and I split like we each did a half of this. I did, I did the front half, Mike did the back half. And then we put a master them together and then we like just sat in a room together and rewrote the whole thing from beginning to end, like next to each other. Um, if I couldn't, if I didn't have a good take on a scene, I'd be like, Mike, you do it and vice versa. And, you know, we were just really hard on every part of it. Um, and so th- this is something I learned from doing a lot of comedy was that also that that was the, we would find ways to like really push every joke, uh, and, and every emotional moment, uh, you know, together. And, and we were harder on each other in a good way. It was also more fun. I thought. I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sort of punching each other up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so I do want to ask, uh, this is a, as we've discussed a little bit already, a pretty Josh-centric episode, and it falls on the heels of Josh getting some pretty devastating news about his former girlfriend, Victoria. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is how you balance Josh's sort of class clown tendencies with the more dramatic elements of his storyline, and what you think um, his reaction to that moment in that episode and this one tell us about him as a person. So, uh, Henry, why don't you start this one? Um. I, well, Josh is a character, um, like I, 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 we introduced him in episode 12, which I wrote with, uh, Leah Fong in season one. And the thing that we kind of figured out about him early on is that he's, um, he just, he makes jokes to make himself comfortable. So he, one of the funny things, fun things to do with him was you get to write a lot of jokes. Um, but those jokes have to be centered in like his desire to either avoid or like deal with uncomfortable news. Um, the scene, the, the scene in particular that I, for this episode that really sticks with me is after he's, he's, re- he's seen himself die and he's sort of reckoning with what the quickening might mean. Right. And he's drinking the carrot wine with, um, with, uh, Penny 23. And he, it, it was a scene that we did. I think we did a, uh, Trevor, who's a magnificent actor, rarely we rarely do a lot of takes. So this is one where we just we kept pushing it to try to find like a deeper version of it. I thought he came to a beautiful performance, but the goal was to just not have it be just funny, but to have it be uh, centered in this sort of horrifying realization. This is what is a guy who who you know is good at delivering one-liners. How does he deal with the news that? he's going to become a monster and might murder everyone that he yeah. loves. Well, it's like he uses jokes as a defense mechanism a lot to avoid, like you said, to avoid. Um, and so it's it's interesting and it's engaging to see an actor, especially as good as Trevor. Um, like, what if your character's defenses aren't enough and you just have to deal with what comes to you? Um, as somebody who uses humor to deflect a lot myself. Um, I've found the final product to be very true to that. Um, And I think I'll quickly plug this. I think we wouldn't have thought about attempting this type of an episode if we didn't trust our actors across the board with this kind of stuff because every single actor had a big challenge. Um, And, you know, just knowing that Knowing them and having seen them for three seasons now, we knew they could all handle it. So shout out to those fellas 
and ladies. Hundred <laughs> percent. This, this was a. I mean, part of it was also to give them. Uh, we were hoping to do something. You don't want them to get bored. You want to give them like something fun or crazy to do. We got, you know, we got to give Jason the chance to be evil. We got to give uh, Olivia. Um, I, Olivia does. We gave Olivia like a three and a half page expositional scene, sitting in a boat with, you know, like Rabbits. seven other characters, which is a te- which is a terrible thing to have to do to an actor. <laughs> she just like nailed it. Made that whole. It was it was one of these scenes where, uh, you know, I was talking with Mira who directed it, Mira Menon, who uh, did a wonderful job. You know, my, our big, biggest fear was that like, we need to give her something so that, to make it emotional and it's hard because it's an exposition scene. And she, like, it was one of the scenes we were so worried about and Olivia just came and like <laughs> every <laughs> moment was infused with like sad, this weird sadness. And it oh just made God. the whole scene sing, you know? One of my favorite parts of this episode is her just like completely dead plan, pan, completely tragic delivery of the like Captain Hops line. My favorite line of the episode, Mike wrote that line. <laughs> I, I couldn't have been more. It was like we had this great line. We we're trying to find the right place to put it. And I, I, it, that is my favorite line. And oh, it's so great. It. <laughs> yeah, she just, she nailed it. She nailed it. <laughs> Christina Strain made a little uh, 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 gift for me at the end of the season, which is a little figurine of Captain Hops, who has like a, an eye patch. And he's like, oh, and he's, no. very, I, he's like, and he's got a peg leg, like he's a rabbit with a peg leg. Oh, <laughs> so, no. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet a picture of it during the uh, Yeah. Oh, I really hope you do. But 100% props to Mike for that. (laughs) That was one of those gifts that just kept giving. Like, we had this idea that, well, what if we we did the Swift, you know, the book? This is the the rabbit-run boat sort of from the book. That is the book Stillery and Further. And uh, and it was one of those, Mike and I just kept throwing it back and forth. It just kept giving us, you know, I feel like, David Reed suggested that they were radish smugglers and began with Caroline. And then yeah, like, yeah. One of these jokes just kept building, building the whole world around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so this episode has a lot of meta elements. Act out, the line about the shippers, the Star Wars thing, and a lot of them are delivered by Josh. To what extent is he a stand-in for the fans? And how is he different in that role than, say, for example, Hyman. Mike, let's start with you. Oh, um, actually, I I think Henry should probably kick this one off if that's okay, because your your meta uh, love, I think, is uh, <laughs> unparalleled. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the whole idea of doing the alternate universe episode is a giant meta commentary on every other aspect of it and how do you show you know the the, the kind of crazy versions of each character i mean i think david Re- reed's pitch for the penny episode was like penny is watching a television show called the magicians and he hates it and <laughs> and uh and I'm, I'm stealing his good line but that's it that, that was that was basically the pitch and you know we we needed someone for him to bounce against with hyman uh I mean, I, Josh is from the very start has always been like someone who's incredibly versed in pop culture. Like, you know, he, yeah. when we first meet him, he says, come with me if you want to live. Uh, I always wanted to say that, you know, things like, things like that. So he's sort of the, 
I mean, that's right out of the books. Like Lev has always, the, the fun of this show is this is these, these the kids who would go to magic school are the kids who would read Harry Potter are the kids who would read the Lord of the Rings, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, it, it, it seems, I don't know. I think mean, he's just a character that is, it's easy for, I have an easy time writing him. And I think Mike does as well. Um, <laughs> Because like he he's the one who can, you know, like they they speak and like we did at the beginning of season two, they speak our characters speak in this other language of pop culture. Uh, he just has an incredible facility for it. So I don't know these these lines just come out of him. Yeah, <laughs> and we have. I mean, we. I think this season we've also kind of been a little more better. Like the first episode of the season, how long is the quest going to take? A good season. <laughs> you know? um, but this episode, because Josh and Julia are a little bit like spectators throughout the episode, um, we had a little more leash, I guess, with that. Um, and so we, we took it quite far. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're in this adventure where they know they're going to run into all these people. Uh, and they just don't know what form they're going to take, and they take reactions, and they're also going to react to like what movie they find themselves in um, as well. So, <laughs> I think that, I think I, that, does that answer your question? I'm sort of trying to. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think it does. Um, my my husband when when we were watching this together, so this is actually a question that he came up with, um, and his interpretation of it was. Um, that Hyman is like, Hyman is a very particular type of fan and maybe kind of like a, a basic uh, fanboy. Um, and he said, I think Josh is podcasters. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think that that's actually yeah. true, but I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Josh, loves, Josh has a love for everything. And I think Hyman is a little more critical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, he's got some, he's talking to Penny and he's like, you guys are okay, but. <laughs> you, know. you and Katie, I totally ship that. Yeah. So uh, this is a little glib, but while we're at it, Henry, does Josh know he's on a TV show? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and I and I think we actually try to, you know, like the 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 act out line. Yeah. That was I think that was a little challenge that Mike and I came up with writing it. We actually had a version of it where we had. We tried to say act out at the end of every single act out. Uh, but ultimately, I, I think when we were rewriting it, it just felt like, you know, he would say it once. And then obviously his alternate self had to say it once. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the Josh Prime was critical of when his alternate self used it because it was inappropriate from his perspective. <laughs> well, and I think one other interesting thing about that is, of course, right, like it, it doesn't cut to commercial at that point. Um, or at least I'm making that assumption based on where the cut to fade to black is. <laughs> First one does. Yeah. One yeah. Right, right. So Josh 23 is actually wrong about it being an act out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That was just, I, it was a pitch that we came up with in the room and it felt like you know, we can do an act out where he says act out. Yeah, I've always, I always felt there was like a, a logic to it, and maybe I'm just overthinking it. But Josh is this guy who just consumes so much uh, TV, movies, books, comics, all that, um, that it kind of shapes how he sees 
his day-to-day life. So when he, there is a huge major reveal that happens in front of his eyes. Yeah. Like yeah. this, his brain that has been trained yeah. to go to, to cut to commercial at that point, <laughs> feels the urge to cut to commercial. I mean, I, that's, he, 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 that's the language he speaks. Yeah. Yeah. At some yeah. point later, Maria, like Marina says, I roll. Like that, I, sometimes yeah. it's, it's very, I feel like this is the, the language that they speak is the language of pop culture. I, I just think he <laughs> has, like I said before, he has a fluency in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things that Josh ever did was in the books, and it, it also goes in line with how meta of a character he is when he takes the button and visits all of the different worlds, and he's like, dude, the Teletubbies are real. Like, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, I feel like that's something also, Josh, on the show, if the button still existed, would totally do. There's some there's some more Josh pop culture stuff coming in the next episode that I won't spoil. Awesome. Okay, so I wanted to ask when you're dealing with uh, multiple timelines, you need a way of showing that characters in one timeline are different from characters in another. How much do you try to differentiate them in writing, and how much do you let the actors create those distinctions on their own? Let's start with Mike this time. Well, I think as far as the writing, um, I think a lot of that came out of those conversations Henry and I had about um, about the backstories of these alternate timeline characters. And also a lot of those conversations did happen in the full room too. But just through kind of talking about how what led these all these timeline 23 characters to where they are now um i I feel like that gave us a a kind of internal sense of how they were slightly different um we also talked with each of the actors um about that and you know about what we thought their backstories were they came with some great ideas and some great nuances that um an actor brain would find that a writer brain might overlook um so it was it was just a very open i think because it was a very open collaborative discussion um it really allowed everybody to to find the little insights that they the little nuggets uh, um, that really made the character special, the alternate uh, timeline character special. We knew every single difference. I mean, we knew where it came from. We always we had the incident. We knew what made them different. We know some in some cases it's dead, uh, and you know we made sure that we had all those answers so we could we handed them to to Mira, the director, so that when the actors came. Mm-hmm. to her she was able to answer them very clearly and cleanly and so that they knew and then if there was any discussion to be had we got involved in that i mean i think it all started with olivia's alice 23 which you know we had i i'd written that uh character in an episode with no the land down season two 210 i think um, 210 and uh and and so it was interesting it's funny because i don't think we hadn't pushed it, but it was interesting enough to see how like a tiny little thing can make someone completely different. Mm-hmm. And then we try we tried to apply that same formula to everyone. So I think Olivia had a version of her already uh, that she had done. And then everyone else, you know, had to, had to kind of explore. Um, I, it was fun. It was fun for everyone. I mean, the, the, you know, the, 
the 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 Elliot and Margot ghosts were uh, maybe maybe uh, my favorite ones to write. <laughs> oh yeah, they were fantastic. That was the moment where I was like, all right, we're going to be able to hit all of our characters because <laughs> we had specified it in episode two ten that everyone had died, and the one person who we said ha- we who we had sort of flipped the switch on was Penny. We're saying that in this universe that Penny actually never really became friends with all of our people and disappeared. So like when uh, Fog tells them that everyone died in that universe, he's not referred to Penny because Penny wasn't really a part of the group. Hmm. Yeah. I actually love, I I just want to point out, I love the line where um, Ellie is just like, she called me a lush, which is just like a nicer <laughs> form of alcoholic. <laughs> Props to Henry for that one. <laughs> yeah. This is a pretty yeah. good one. <laughs> the other thing I like that in that scene, there's a second Elliot after Margo blows up uh, and he pulls, this is a, came out of a props meeting. He, he pulls like a little piece of her ear with an earring off of his shoulder. Oh, that's I don't know if you can see it very clearly, but that's what it was. It was an earring. With a little bit of ear on it. <laughs> I could tell it was, like, supposed to be a body part. I couldn't figure out what it was. That's That makes sense. It's like a little tassel earring. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that blown up Margo, is the, I feel like, is my favorite effect that I have, we've done on the show. And I think Sarah, too. It's just, it, I, it was so... It turned out so much better than I had, had, had expected. <laughs> it really turned out... I love whenever we do, like, the, the ghost things on the show. Like, I love that. That episode from season one is one of my favorite favorite episode still um with the, yeah, Sarah, the ghost we children just, we were trying very hard to apply she was re- is really great about uh establishing rules and we were trying very hard to apply all of those rules in this particular instance because it was very it, it actually helped us a lot <laughs> yeah um so one thing i noticed in this episode i noticed that um josh prime tends to interrupt josh 23 whenever they're talking so he like fills in the blanks <laughs> oh you're laughing good good i found something um so he's like filling in the blanks with whatever josh 23 is trying to say with context from his own, own experience and that made me really think about the perspective that we're getting in this episode and that we to some extent have been sort of getting throughout this season so like josh and julia in this episode we're pretty embedded in the prime timeline point of view should we be taking their interpretation of timeline 23 with a grain of salt? And how big should that grain of salt be? So, Henry, since you laughed, why don't you start? <laughs> what, what do you, now, what do you mean their interpretation of timeline 23? You mean how, how timeline 23 became or, or how it came to be? I guess part of my question is um, timeline 23, if we take this episode completely at face value, um, then and we take all the characters that we're sort of seeing in timeline 23 at face value, then I think that we have to, like, we have to assume that their motivations are kind of similar to the motivations of the characters that we already know. And I'm wondering how much that's true. It seems to me like maybe, yeah, I'll just leave it out there. How much is that true? (laughs) I think that is very true. I mean, the, 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 the Josh interrupting Josh thing, my wife is an identical twin and she and her sister always, interrupt each other or constantly text each other at the same, like at the same time, like they're thinking the same thoughts. I, I just imagine that if you saw a person who is you, who had most of the same formative experiences as you, except for at some, a certain point, you would share a lot of the same thoughts. You would know what the other person was going to say. And you would be very shocked when it was different. Like say, if you betrayed yourself, mm-hmm. um, 
And, you know, the, the so like, we really want to like, the, the, these are the same characters. It just, at some point they branched off. It's, it's, um, I mean, that, that was really the, the goal was to know when they branched off, know why they branched off and have a very good explanation for why they branched off. And ideally we tried to figure out a way that it came from the, because we did the test reflection and we pushed Alice, we told, gave Alice 23 hope, you know, hope that she could maybe bring Quentin back. She did a thing that caused all of this other shit to happen. Basically. She, she, kind of, she kind of did the opposite of what Quentin did to bring her back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, she she's like sad and desperate. And, and, and I mean, I feel terrible. The only person she didn't alter, the only person was, were uh, uh, mm-hmm. Elliot, who, who died the initial uh, right. thing. Did you say Margot and Elliot? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that made me sad, seeing everybody <laughs> I, I love die. I was just like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, is there anything I'm missing there? I'm trying to think of what else to say. No, I think that hits it. I think that hits it all pretty well. I mean, there is a bit of a journey of um you know when we first land in timeline 23 our point of view is very um this is weird like there's just fucking butcher plastic curtains hanging everywhere um yeah we call them murder curtains yeah i think did you coin that i i i did because they look like they're being a meat locker yeah special props to our both to our 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 camera lighting department our, and our um, set design, uh, Margot Reddy, they really just oh my gosh, yeah. came to play. And there's so many things that, that didn't even make it into the show that, like, you know, there's graffiti written in blood at one point. <laughs> I mean, there's so much stuff. They really did a magnificent job. Uh, you know, Francois, who was the DP on this episode, created this entire other lighting scene for Timeline 23. I mean, everyone really, like, did a beautiful job, like, realizing. I think it was fun for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, yeah, so, like, we land in that, and it, we have this, I feel like Josh and Julia did have a little, or at least the audience POV is very, a bit judgmental of mm-hmm. this world of, yeah. like, Dean Fogg is fucking insane. Yeah. And <laughs> um, yeah. Marina and Josh are cutthroat, and holy fuck. Yeah. But then... Um, we come to realize that it's because of us. So yeah. maybe that's the grain of salt. Like through Julia, yeah. through Julia saying, yeah. oh, when I reached out with the Tesla affection with Quentin, um, I'm kind of the spark that lit the fire that burned this world down. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so there, through Julia, we you see a bit of a transformation um, in how we approach Timeline 23? Well, I, I had to read the episode where we killed Marina. And so oh, yes. part of like the thing, one of the goals here, we, we, we wanted to bring back a version of Marina and play like the Julia's guilt about that. Uh, her own feeling of culpability about creating both this universe and, you know, she created this universe accidentally but she also did some terrible things to marina in the past through her own like uh i don't know i, I don't know how to describe it her, she, some of it's uh some of it's 
I don't want to say uh, it's her irresponsibility because it's not totally her fault, but, you know. I mean, Julia's always had um, the, you know, she's always had extremely difficult problems with no great solutions, and she's done the best she can, but that doesn't mean that she didn't hurt people along the way. And this this episode specifically, I think, was a lot about her confronting that, that even if she is acting out of the best uh, efforts and best interest, she still hurt people. Um, and so she wants to do whatever she can to write that via either cosmically or with a cipher of that person or an alternate version of that person. So there's one, there's one other way I wanted to to try to spin this and see <laughs> see about it. Mm-hmm. So part of why the inter- interrupting caught me was because, like, Josh Prime never really, never actually hears an answer to any of the questions he asks. He asks these big questions about, like, what's the quickening and what's this other stuff? Mm-hmm. And he kind of assumes that whatever Josh 23, he, he assumes that he knows what Josh 23 is going to say already. And so he doesn't actually, like, get the full answer. And I think that's where I'm wondering, like, should we be taking what he thinks about how similar they are with a grain of salt? And I don't know. I don't know. Josh 23 doesn't, doesn't tell him either. So No, he doesn't. Uh you're going to find out eventually what the clicking is, but maybe not this season. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just know that the, the Marina and Julia shippers are going to be very happy with this episode. Oh my God. <laughs> You'll never hear the end of it. Especially, with, especially with the context, like the, the obvious context that Marina throws out there, they're going to have a field day. <laughs> Um, I mean, that would be, look, Marina just hits on her, like, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not opposed since it's a different Marina. Now, if it was the same Marina, I would not be behind it. Um, well, she didn't have I, the same, she didn't have the same history with yeah. her, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, which, also, it's something that I don't think we put in our script, but I, I also wanted to bring up the fact that Katie's not in this episode. Yes, that's a good point. So, um, I would have loved to have Katie in this episode. It, honestly, it was a function purely of uh, 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 some of our actors we only have available for uh, 10 out of 13 or for 7 okay. out of 13 episodes, and we just didn't have her, and we were trying to stick to our budget. I, 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 I mean, I love Katie. Um, I would have loved to have had her in this episode. I would have very much loved to have created an alternate universe uh, version of her, uh, but, uh, um, you know, it was we, we were uh, we were trying very hard to stick to a budget, so uh, you know I apologies to um, Jay for that. <laughs> I so, loved it and all other Katie fans out there, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you guys will ever bring up the that timeline again, other than the characters coming over. Um, but what do you think Katie would be doing in that timeline? If you can answer, uh, she's dead. Oh, she's oh. Dead. <laughs> oh, sad. I mean, I, I, well, she she did. the the goal was the, the I mean, you know who Katie Orloff Diaz is based on in the books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the goal was to to in that timeline, she was killed by the beast. Okay. And because she was killed by the beast right away, Penny didn't have 
Katie to go to, and that's part of why he became who he was. Mm, okay. Um, so, like that, that, that was the literally what we talked about in the room. Uh, you know, uh, was that her death was a uh, uh, ultimate changing point for for Penny. Yeah. Um, and in the books, Katie Orloff is, or you know, is a yeah, yeah. Amanda Orloff. We were sort of like, well, what things could happen to make Penny a not? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Amanda. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we there was a slight change to her in the in the in the in the um, in the our show, uh, but the goal was really to like because we couldn't use her, and it's the alternate universe. How is it going to affect everyone else? What 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 would the losing of her change? Uh, we didn't go into the specifics of that. I would love to do an episode where we see a different version of Jay Taylor. She's a phenomenal actor. I do think it's. Well, there's two things that I thought were really... I'm really interested to see how Penny coming back is going to impact the the relationship between Julia and Katie because, I mean, obviously there's like <laughs> yeah. a lot of complication there. Um, but one of the other things that I found really interesting is is that you're sort of... We're sort of seeing through this episode that um, Penny... Like, Penny's propensity for, for viewing women as, like, the women he dates as, like, sort of on a pedestal and all, and, like, all-encompassing, that's a real thing about him. It's not just about him and Katie. It's about who he is in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, it, I think Penny's the, the kind of guy who, like you said, puts his significant other on a pedestal. He's, you know, kind of a reserved quiet guy he doesn't open himself himself up to many people really um so when he finds that one person uh that he wants to open himself up to that person gets gets all of penny he's all in um and that's how he approaches uh you know friendly relationships or romantic relationships um and so yeah when when there wasn't uh a Katie for Penny's interests to go towards. And he found Julia, you know, he says that Julia was his soulmate. Um, he's not really hedging much there. Um, no pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's just one of those, he's just a guy. And there are so many like this that, um, pick pick who they'll really uh, connect with. Yeah. Um, and then it's you know it's like a bandwidth thing. If you have that much of your like, if you haven't opened yourself up to many people, it's all got to go to this one person. Mm-hmm. We were trying to imagine. I mean, the other thing is, Katie died, but Julia was also there when this happened. And what are the other things? Are like, what if mm-hmm. any? connected with Julia at that moment. And like, that was sort of, we had, we were just trying to imagine ways that we could, could totally change who Penny was and totally change how he saw other people. Um, and, you know, Perry, Penny 23 comes into our universe at the end and it completely upends that entire relationship with both of those characters. I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was what we were interested in exploring, you know, is, 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 uh, how do, uh, how can we really alter the the relationship structures on our show? Uh, and you're totally right about Penny. I think you see how he has a idealized version of her, and 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 
Julia tries very hard to be like, you know, like I'm not her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and he has a very blunt response. <laughs> you know, <laughs> his, uh, his, his Han Solo response. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it, it also has to be really weird for her because like the yeah. penny she knows hates her. Like, <laughs> Right. So that's got to be really weird. Just like, whoa, <laughs> Penny's talking to me, like, be, because he wants to. <laughs> right. right. I, think, I think that was a fun challenge for our actors was to, to, to completely upend what they thought was how they saw things, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, they ended up doing a beautiful scene, I thought. And and yeah. look, this, this is a this is this episode is sort of, is also about planting story seeds that are going to pay off down the line. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say any more beyond that. <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah, so so kind of kind of relating to that and getting back on our script, uh, Claire and I were talking yesterday about how we got so wrapped up in the quest this season that we kind of forgot about the fact that the idea that the keys would help them get magic back was something that Quentin sort of came up with, his interpretation of the tale of the seven keys. And Quentin is often wrong. Um, so is that something we should worry about? Uh, worry about? Mike, you first. So is, if should we worry about if the keys won't get us magic back? I mean, we kind of they kind of hint. Back? Yeah, I mean, you should worry about everything all the time, <laughs> constantly. You should just be a ball of anxiety. Of <laughs> <laughs> I know. Rolling from one crisis to the next. It's been um, a little too fluffy this season. We're just like skeptical at this point. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's a, it is a magical book. Like it reveals itself one chapter at a time with there's there, um, without going too far, we're not going down a a dead end alley. Um, but a lot of times alleyways take turns that you might not expect or see on a map. I'm already expecting a devastating cliffhanger at the end of the season. (laughs) Like I'm expecting it. Cool. cool. Yeah, that's so you've watched the show then, I think. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay, well, be- before we wrap this episode, so I want to share a little bit more from the Danny and I were texting like for a long time yesterday about this episode <laughs> and how it's made us question a lot about what we thought we knew. And you're you're welcome to join if you want, but I also want to like put out there as ground rules. You're totally allowed to abstain and just sort of <laughs> listen. Uh, so, you know, let us know if you want to cut in. Um, all right. So in the books, much like in the show, the quest starts out as kind of like a fun adventure. Quentin's in his element. He's excited for the chance to finally be the hero of his stories. But things don't turn out quite like he expects them to. And Quentin learns that being a hero isn't everything he thought it was. Um, and there's actually, there's a line in this episode um, when Julia's talking about basically going off book that reminded me of a line in the book where, um, I think it's in the narration, but, it, you know, Quentin's point of view about how um, in books everything is sort of laid out for you and there's always somebody to, like, point you to the volcano to throw the ring in or whatever it is. Um, and that's not the way it is in real life. And if, um, so like there's some of that already in this episode, but as the quest comes to a close in the books, Quentin confronts Ember who in the books is still alive at this point um, and says basically that like the hero should be reward for, rewarded for his heroism. 
And Ember puts him in his place. He says, uh, no Quentin, the hero pays the price. So there's this current of entitlement um, and Quentin, right, there's a certain current of entitlement in the books and like Quentin making these assumptions that turn out to not be quite so true about how magic works and how heroism works and questing works. Um, in the show, Quentin really does seem pretty single-minded about the quest, and he seems to be convinced that not only is it going to bring magic back, but maybe this will be the one thing that makes him happy, which Quentin is sort of perpetually thinking that there's one thing that's going to make him happy. Um, but one thing that we talked about was that Julia could be deluding herself too. So she's been, for the last few episodes, talking about how she thinks that the power that OLU gave her is growing because she's doing good. But it's not 100% clear that that's true. When she leveled up with Sky, it was after the collar kicked in, but before Julia actually reversed its effects. And when she leveled up again after helping the fairies break their bonds, that scene also involved a lot of violence and, and really sort of uh, brutality, right? We've been referring to it as the red dinner party. Um, <laughs> So it's possible that Julia's power grows not from doing good, but from simply using it or even in line with the notion that magic comes from pain, sort of being around the pain of other people and absorbing that. So, Danny, what do you think about all of that and what did you want to add from our conversation? I mean, we've been speculating for episodes, quite a few episodes now, that uh, this quest was actually... They've been sent on by by Hades himself, and they don't know this. <laughs> because a lot of people keep referring to, because of him, like him, and it's just like, okay, so maybe it's Hades. Um, and we d- we're just like saying, like, you know, it, everything is going a little too good for Julia right now, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't quite make sense. I don't want it to be true because I want Julia to be happy. (laughs) Yeah, we don't trust you guys. (laughs) Um, It's just, it just makes more sense that I feel like something bad is going to happen at the end of the season. And we've been speculating this. And and we're we're kind of a little bit more confirmed. We got a little bit of confirmation with a, with Quentin 23 saying you let in a, a monster worse right. than me. So that's true. That was another thing from this uh, episode that we were trying to pay off to worry about in the future. Uh, I, I like your theorizing. It's the, the, uh, your ideas are really interesting. Uh, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil the season for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying watching Mike, you guys. Do you have anything to do? No, I think- I think the next two episodes should just, I think they should speak, uh, speak for themselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm enjoying watching your poker faces. So th- there's a couple other little things. I want. Oh, we have to- terrible poker faces. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, That's you say fun. that, you say that you have terrible poker faces, but you, you both s- seem to smile all the time. So the fact that you're smiling doesn't tell me anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am impressed and like how much you guys engage with the material and really think about it. I think that's really I find that to be really complimentary. Cool. 
<laughs> well, that, good. That part is like, you guys are thinking very deeply about it. We've both read this, these books like way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> so many times. Uh, so we actually, <laughs> we'll, we'll impress you a little bit more. Um, so the other thing that we talked about was the like quickening that Josh 23 mentioned and that our Josh was so worried about. Um, and we, so we actually had to like, we were talking about this, that we had to like look up a bunch of, the references and a bunch of the potential tropes. And there are so many different versions of like a quickening um, out there. The one that I found most interesting thinking about the books was the Highlander one where like you kill an immortal and absorb their power. <laughs> Cause I still don't know what happened to Ember's God powers in season two, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Danny, what'd you think? <laughs> Uh, I'm going on with uh, what you said to me. I think it's a red herring of some sort. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not werewolfy. <laughs> it's either a red herring or it's uh, like a Chekhov's gun. It'll just it'll show up again eventually, <laughs> <laughs> with enough time for us to forget about it. <laughs> Except we're bad at forgetting about things. I mean, we still are like the candy, which is going to show up with uh, Quentin's blood. So we haven't forgotten. <laughs> she might still out there. <laughs> we actually did we did we talk about that you'll, last you'll episode? eventually you'll eventually learn what the quickening is that's, that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but maybe not this season right <laughs> sure. okay, i'm not gonna promise anything but you will eventually learn what it is <laughs> we also are and it's going to be horrifying yay <laughs> <laughs> We're also missing uh, the the god killing bullet, which literally is Chekhov's gun. Will show up at some point, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> There's some great no comment faces going still on. Still yeah. Yeah. yeah, like why? Yeah. You know what? Why should I ruin your enjoyment of the end of the season? You shouldn't. Oh, well, absolutely. Should. Next season. <laughs> no, don't, don't worry about it. We we're always thinking. I wanted to hear your thoughts. <laughs> The fashion in this episode. I have, I oh, have we'll a get, lot. We'll of get that. there. Do, yeah. Do I have? Because I have a, I have a special, I have a question for you guys. If you can name the episode in which uh, um, Margot was wearing the jacket oh. that she's wearing. Okay, so I team. noticed that jacket, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I thought it might have been the episode where um, the like where all the mentors came to break bills, but I wasn't positive. It's not that episode. Okay. But it is that season. <laughs> it's gonna drive me nuts. I'm gonna have to go back and watch. I love that okay. jacket. I will. I will tell you if you want. Yeah. It's the, the, the episode 110, the Margolem episode. It's one of the. Uh, it's the jacket that she's wearing. Yes. Uh, it's confusing because uh, there's two, you know, two Margos in that scene, but she's wearing that jacket. I just like because <laughs> it's white. You can really read the blood on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So we'll we'll turn to fashion now. Um, and yeah, uh, since we're in that, but I do want to sum up by just saying that I personally do not think that we should assume we know anything about the motivations of the magicians in timeline 23. And my current theory is that the prime timeline magicians are probably off the mark a bit about what's going to happen when they find the seventh key. So, hmm, fashion. They found, they found the seventh key. What, whatever the like the last one that they need they need them all <laughs> when they complete their cle- <laughs> when they like fill up their polka deck or whatever <laughs> um, okay fashion time um a couple things uh i think else 23's florian garb was just fantastic it was like she was wearing like the perfect tragic peasant de- dress for the perfect tragic version of alice <laughs> um yeah 
One thing I was curious about was Josh 23's jacket, because he said he found it, and I kind of like, it looked a little familiar to me before he said that, but I wasn't sure if I was fooling himself, and it kind of made me wonder, like, did it belong to somebody else before? <laughs> I don't think we had seen that one. Um, I think Bogley got it, or made it special for this one. Okay. Um, you, we were just thinking, if a ton of magicians got killed, one of them has to have like a really good fashion sense. So <laughs> true. It was Todd's. No, <laughs> Todd doesn't have the greatest fashion. I just gotta say. <laughs> um, it could definitely have been Todd. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since they're in the physical cottage. <laughs> yeah, I do exactly. I do kind of wonder about Todd twenty three. Maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll get to learn more about that. <laughs> he probably also died. Oh. Yes. He, he has a way. Of, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has a way of staying alive. Yeah. Uh, he's a cockroach that they can't yeah, get rid of. Or a Twinkie. I, I think. He, I think he was alive. We just did not able. We were able to. Get, that's my theory. Is that he was yeah. alive. We weren't able to deal with. Um, well, I'm definitely okay with that because I want Todd always alive. Well, and Danny and I have have a have a request for the what whatever next musical episode, which is we need Todd to sing. I just can't wait to be king. Yeah, that's <laughs> it just needs to happen. <laughs> so you know, pass it along or whatever. Um, back to fashion. Uh, one of the other things. John, this is a John thing. John, John has yeah. strong opinions about the musical. Well, we'll, we'll work on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So one of the other things we were really, I was really interested in was the difference between Fog 23 and Fog Prime style. Because um, I noticed that, like, they both have a pocket square, but other than that, like, their fashion is incredibly different. Fog 23 <laughs> is wearing, like, a hunting jacket over flannel. And Fog <laughs> Prime, like, even with everything that's happened, even during that period when he's actually blind before Julia fixes his glasses, he's still, like, dressed to kill. Um, and I was wondering if that was something that either of you discussed with Magali or that um, Rick discussed with Magali and how it's representative of the his different personality and experiences. He just went full Walking Dead on us. We, yeah, we had a, a, a lot of discussions about it in prep. Uh, I would argue that he is dressed to kill, just a different form of killing. We wanted, Hunting jacket, we yeah. wanted him in like survival gear, you know, like that things have really gone wrong in this timeline. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it just didn't seem like he would be wearing a suit while he was holed up in this, you know, bunker. It felt like he was a little more of a, you know, scary guy locking himself behind, you know, uh, you know, multiple locks in the, mm. in the doorway in order to, in order to, to keep from getting murdered. And just, uh, I feel like his, fashion sense would have fallen a little by the wayside. He's a li- he was a little, he was still pretty, he was still very prim and things were tucked in. <laughs> and it, and he know, did still have the pocket sense. square. Yeah, and I think the thing I liked about it the most is like, he, despite the world crumbling around him or whatever, he has these tiny anchors that he just will hold for his life. And the pocket square being one, tucking in his shirt, um, like if he can, if he can keep those little bits in control, then he can stay, however tenuously, in touch with reality. I like that. He a needs lot. something to mop up the blood. 
Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of blood. It's oh, a lot of fucking tons. <laughs> Leprechauns have more blood than humans. It's it shouldn't be possible, but it is. That's right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Did you like have a long discussion about how much blood leprechauns have? <laughs> Part of the backstory for this episode. <laughs> we could have talked more about it. <laughs> we could have sure. talked so much more about it. <laughs> Fog had done unspeakable things. Wasn't always proud of them. <laughs> that was a little, a little glimpse. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, it also it also kind of brought up the, the fact that um, like it's not just fairies you could make like dust from. <laughs> Make it from other magical creatures as well. Yeah. Also, I just love the fact that the the show made like the most like lovely, brutal version of fairy dust. Like (laughs) 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 we're so used to just like Peter Pan fairy dust, Tinkerbell sprinkling it. No, it's all the same. They just didn't go into it, but like Peter Pan was a coke addict for sure. (laughs) <laughs> you played uh, Bioshock ever? Uh, my husband did. I I tried yeah. to play a little and got scared. There's <laughs> a moral choice you make in it, and you can play the game either doing the good thing or the bad thing. And then this is the universe where he picked the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, Margot's outfit, and I did just really love that we got to see something she'd worn before. Like, I love those little touches and just sort of. And it's such a notable one, so I think like that really does anchor you in um, in this world. Um, and I wasn't sure, but I was curious whether what Elliot was wearing was also something he'd worn before. I really like that tie. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they may. I feel like our costume department made an effort to if to use either use the clothes from season one, or if they didn't have those uh, still available to recreate them as closely as humanly possible because um, we were trying to say that at you know the timeline split um, not you know back at the beginning of time but just a couple years ago um, so they would have had the same clothes the same tastes the same same styles mm-hmm. so this is not fashion but it's it's one more question that um, I I feel like I, I was talking to somebody else who gets the episodes early, um, one of the Reddit mods, um, and they were saying, uh, we both sort of had this question about when does Fog turn back the clock in these previous timelines? Um, like, when does when does he give up on uh, a particular timeline and uh, move on? And I mean, I guess here there's, the magic sort of runs out and who knows how that affects Uh, magical timepieces but it is something that I sort of had running through my head this episode curious if you had thought about that or we thought a lot about it there's different points where it happened in every one and I am like I actually had a really good answer to this and I'm totally ragging my brain for it (laughs) we we discussed a, a lot the specifics of when and why he would do it and would the timeline continue without it uh, and there I'm, were several I'm like, diagrams involved. Yeah, I'm like, not several. kidding. We had so many conversations about this, and I was drawing a blank right now. And maybe just it was like it was like three days of conversation at at least yeah. of yeah. just yeah. the technical rules of 
yeah. time travel and all that. Um, There's and, also decisions you make about time travel. Like, what type of time travel are you uh, like? Are you engaging in? Like, does, does the time travel affect the future? Does it not affect the future? <laughs> are things always the same? Are things always altered? And uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about this, and I'm still, like completely drawing a blank. I'm excited. I'm sorry. Well, it's okay. I mean, you you kind of wrote yourself an out with the Julia's line about what even are the rules for the key. So <laughs> <laughs> you're you're excused from remembering. <laughs> I think we took a little page from a looper when um, Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are talking, and he asked the rules of time travel, and he says, "Just don't think too hard about it." Have like, you? Yeah. Um, just Enjoy it. Where you have to, you have to understand. There are people's expectations of it, and part of it was that we were leaning hard on the, the genre expectation of the alternate universe and what you would get from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the fact that on our show, it's a slightly different because we're not exactly doing alternate universe. We have had these time loops, and we've set amount of them, (laughs) and each one of them is slightly different. Um, So we were trying to lean on our our mythological version of that. Yeah. Right. Uh, the other the other thing that I thought of, well, with with the headache um, line, um, was a two part episode of Star Trek Voyager called um, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but uh, where they go back to like present our present day Santa Monica and um, <laughs> Janeway is like sitting in front of an, an old computer um, <laughs> and uh, trying to like hack into it and talking about time travel. And she goes, the future is the past. The past is the future. It all gives me one big headache. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. For sure. Um, well, we should move on to MVP and, um, I, I guess I will start this one. I'm going to give it to Olivia for this. I think what sealed it for me was her delivery of that Captain Hops line. It was just, it was, <laughs> it was so amazing. And like you, right. Like in a, in a episode that has so many funny lines that are delivered in funny way to, ways to have her bring that, bring like emotional weight <laughs> <laughs> to this kind of ridiculous joke um it just that that was what it did for me and then like close second for me would be uh Mogali, the costume designer just because there were so many great wardrobe touches for timeline 23 um danny how about you um i actually had to give it to trevor because he pulled double duty and he was incredible and just Solid hilarious choice. the entire time <laughs> Um, I, I just know that he's, he's shaping up to be a lot of people's like favorite characters. Like I've heard a lot of people on like Twitter and stuff. They're just like, love Josh. And I'm just like, it makes me very happy because Josh was definitely one of my favorite characters in the book. <laughs> and I'm very glad that he stuck around. <laughs> um, so, so Henry, who do you want to call out for this episode? Who, who would be a, an MVP for you? Well, that's tough. I mean, I, I'm, I agree with you about Olivia I agree with you. Here's what I'm going to do. I agree with you, Olivia. I agree with you about Trevor, 100%. Uh, I want to call out uh, uh, Rick, uh, especially Rick Worthy for his version of Pog. It is, like, incredibly funny. Um, I also want to call out Stella just because, like, she's playing kind of the straight man through a lot of these scenes and doing, like, a really beautiful job of it. I just have a hard time picking one. I, I would say Olivia's delivery of that one line might be, again, I think it's, it's my favorite line of the episode. Uh, Mike wrote it, and it just it was one of those ones where you're like, oh, she nailed it. 
<laughs> Mike, how about Maybe you? I'm going to give it to I'm going to give it to Mira, uh, our director for this one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you took mine. It's okay. I have like three lined up. <laughs> All right, Mike. Who, who do you want to add to the list? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, definitely huge shout out to Mira. Um, this was yeah. our our show is can be complicated for directors to come in. Um, this episode especially was complicated. Uh, and I thought she just absolutely nailed it. Um, but the, uh, the two I want to call out are Margot, uh, Margot Reddy, yeah. our production designer, um, just turning all these standing sets into this completely different uh, world um, even just going and standing on the sets in person, not picking and choosing what we see through the camera lens, I felt like I was in a different studio. Um, and I thought, yeah, she just did a great job. And also Jason, his portrayal of the beast. We've, we've talked in the room a lot about how Quentin has these darker tendencies that we haven't seen yet. And I thought he just did an absolutely beautiful job of of exploring those in this timeline, um, in in not a, in a non judgmental way, in a very uh, understanding and compassionate way of how Quentin Coldwater could have become the Beast. Yeah. Uh, I thought I thought he did a really fantastic job. Yeah, also, and, he, and he was had, really... he's having a good hair day that day too. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, it she... was really cool. <laughs> Jason also looks incredible in a suit, so uh-huh. <laughs> and with the fingers. Yeah, and with the six <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I actually kinda I can't believe we skipped over that because Danny and I did talk about how great it was to like see to see that explored, to see the the like that Martin and Quentin are two sides of the same coin and like mm-hmm. <laughs> basically all you have to do is like make like take Quentin's moral center out of him and he becomes mm-hmm. Martin Chatwin. Yeah. I also, I also I loved that. Say, sorry, I literally want to say, like, on that note, that was an idea that came out of the room. And I, I, I will actually get to give my, I want to give a shout out to the writers on this one because, like, the writers of the room really, really worked, like, double time to break the hell out of this episode because it was one of these episodes where you had to think about every little element. Mm-hmm. And they did it, they did it beautifully. And the, and the like, I, I can't take credit. I, I can take credit for writing the, like, the episode with Mike but I can't take credit for coming up with the idea of Jason as a beast. Like that came out of the room and it was really a fantastic idea. Yeah. Yeah. I also really loved the, um, kind of like Romeo and Juliet, like scene of after Quentin like stabs himself and he like lies next to, um, Alice. It like really got me. (laughs) I was just like, that's a huge, uh, Mira shout out and Mira, Jason and Olivia, um, really put in work rehearsing and staging that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all that stuff was their ideas and it, very deliberate. And yeah, I agree with you. I think they, I think they nailed it. Mm. The beautiful crane shot as they come up and they all kind of. Oh, like, that crane shot was so good. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're we're at episode ratings, and Danny, actually, I'm going to let you go first this time. Um. This is a hard episode to rate. I'd probably have to give it like a, a solid eight out of ten. It just felt so different to me. Um, 
Plus, I mean, we've been having a hard time this season giving ratings because everything's just so, <laughs> so good. Um, it's true. The quality of the season has been just like out of the park phenomenal. So. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. It was really, um, of course, like sort of outside the box um, with this whole season. This whole season has been um I really like it, and I think it adds a, a good layer, and I, I can't wait to see what, uh, you know, Marina and Penny popping back into the world will do for us. <laughs> so, um, I'll give mine, and uh, I've been a little nervous about this, because I have to admit that the, the first time I watched this episode, I kind of didn't know what to think. I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Um, and I think it was because I was, I was like catching these differences in tone that were sort of about the timeline, about some of the things that we've now discussed, but I didn't really know where they were coming from. And when Danny and I were talking and I started to think about why it felt weird to me, I started to think about all those other aspects of it more and realized that I had maybe like missed a couple things that first time around. And when I watched it again, I loved it. Um, so I, I, in the end came, came, I think to the same rating. I can I have eight of 10 written here. Um, and it, it was, it was interesting for me that like the different, what the difference was between the first and second watchings, because that's pretty rare for me. Like usually when I go into these episodes, um, if I love it, I love it forever. If I hate it, I hate it forever. If I feel meh about it, I feel meh about it forever. But this was one of those ones that, like, I've watched it now three times, and every time it's it's gotten better to me and richer, and there's been more stuff in there that I really liked. So, yeah, 8 out of 10 for me. Hey, you also you also changed your mind on the the, the haunted house episode from season one. That's true. I I actually I really hated the haunted house episode the first time I saw it, and then I ended up loving it. It was it, one of my favorite episodes in season one. <laughs> uh, not naturally a horror person, which I think was part of that. Um, so Henry and Mike, I won't ask you to rate an episode that you wrote, but I'd love to take this opportunity to ask each of you what you got out of working with the other person. So Mar- Mike, I'm going to start with you. What did you learn from working with Henry? I mean, I, I was in a uh, great, just I think a great position. Um, it was as much a learning and growing experience as a writer um, as it was a, a script to write. Because um just working side by side with Henry and seeing his writing process um, and being able to collaborate in a more um, hands-on way. Um, it's in this, kind of in the same way as like cross-training for sports. Like yeah. uh, if you do the same thing uh, every single time, you're going to be, you only know how to do things that way. Um, but so, so working with Henry and seeing how he approached problems, um, how you would approach even just the functional mm-hmm. aspect of how to write it um, has helped me a lot. And like after the season was over, uh, I wrote a feature on my own and I found that experience with Henry really, really helped um, how I approached writing that feature. So I think, awesome. I think he helped me grow as a writer tremendously. <laughs> So, I didn't know that. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, what's your feature? Is it is it in production? 
Uh, no, no, it's um, it, uh, it's in an email inbox oh. somewhere, <laughs> uh, waiting to go to her outbox, waiting <laughs> to go to my agent. Well, That's all. <laughs> I, I hope we do get to see it at some point. Um, Henry, same question for you. What did you learn from working with Mike? I like working with Mike because it's a delight. Like I enjoyed, I had fun every single moment of the day when we were working together. So I, and I, Mike has a, one of the best attitudes of anyone I've ever worked with and, and kind of brings that every day. And, uh, you know, I, I have to remember if I ever start feeling crabby or shitty about, you know, life, I, not to bring that into the room and to bring that sense of kind of, uh, optimism and fun. Cause I feel like that really came through. I mean, it was really fun. We just, I just had fun every day. So <laughs> it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a really good experience. <laughs> good. I, well, we, we really enjoyed this episode and, uh, it's, I don't know. I'm excited to see more. Part- I've been, it's been really fun to see like all the different partnerships and all the, all the writers who, who like Mike got to do their first solo episode, um, or, uh, things like that this season and, and directors too. Mike, Mike's second. Oh, right. Did, Sorry. Uh, this is your second. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, Elle had her first, had her this first one this, yeah. this season, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's really nice like seeing, um, seeing all the different voices that are coming out of the writer's room um, and seeing how they have shaped the show. It's really lovely. Um, okay. So that's, that's all I have in our script. Is there anything else that either of you wanted to say before we wrap up? Yeah. I'm just glad I'm, I'm happy to hear so many cool, interesting questions and theories like <laughs> that, that it, that the show is eliciting that much of a, uh, investment and response is, uh, really heartwarming. So thank you guys for watching. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I hope, uh, you, you, I, I like the, the deep care and, and thought that you guys bring into it as viewers. We really appreciate that. Well, we really enjoy it. We, it, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think if we could get paid full time to just think about the show, we'd be really happy. But, uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no such luck so far. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right, um, Mike Henry, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun to chat with you again and to talk to both of you together about an episode that you that you wrote as a, as a pair. Um, I can't wait to do it again. I'm so excited that it was renewed for season four. I feel like that's still <laughs> just <laughs> a thrill every time. Starting the full full room tomorrow. Oh wow, <laughs> man. Yeah. Earlier every year. <laughs> um, it'll, it'll enable us to use the uh, take more advantage of the Florian summer up in Vancouver. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, thank you for sticking with us for season three. Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. The more positive ratings you get, the higher we show up in search results, which means that more fans can find us. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Mind slide.